Is it true that protein fossils point to a young Earth creation? It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, biblical scholar and cultural commentator, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice for moral sanity and spiritual clarity. Call 866-34-TRUTH to get on The Line of Fire. And now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Oh, we, we are going to have a great show today. We are going to have quite a show today. You have tuned in at the right time. Michael Brown, welcome to the broadcast. Here to infuse you with faith and truth and courage. Come on, we want you to stand strong and run your race and be everything God has called you to do. Bottom of the hour, bottom of the hour, I'm going to be joined by Dr. Brian Thomas. He has a PhD in paleobiochemistry from the University of Liverpool. He's a research scientist going to talk about dinosaurs problems with evolution human and human origins oh boy that's gonna be at the bottom of the hour here's where we're going to start what about paul's thorn in the flesh we've been talking about let's get healthy we've been talking about healing we've been raising questions like that people say well what about paul's thorn didn't jesus refuse to heal him of sickness how, how about we take a look second corinthians the 12th chapter Second Corinthians chapter 12. Now, what's happened immediately before this? The previous chapter, Paul has been pushing back against the so-called super apostles, as, as we call them. These, oh, we are the success and powerful and prosperous and anointed. Look at us. And Paul said, you're, you're servants of Satan. You're destroying the faith of these Corinthians. You're preaching another gospel. And, and he says, you want to, I'm going to boast. You think they're so big? You Corinthians, you're so impressed with them? I'm going to boast. I've been beaten more. I've been flogged more. I, I've, I've been stoned more. I've, I've suffered more. He said, I gotta be crazy to talk like that. Just, you, you wanna know who the real apostle is? It's the one who suffered the most. Then he says, okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse one. I must go on boasting. There's nothing to be gained by it. I'll go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ. He's speaking of, of himself, but in the third person in humility. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Now, King James speaks of infirmities, but perfectly legitimate way, and the right way to translate it here is weaknesses. Now, if you'll read through First and Second Corinthians, and notice every time there's a reference to weak, weakness, weak, weakness, throughout the letter, Paul is contrasting God working through human weakness. Paul is speaking of all oh, the super apostles, they're so strong, we're perceived as weak. So God works through our weakness. God saves the world through the weakness and the foolishness of the preaching of the cross. So, Paul says this, On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weakness. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears me. Remember, he's just been boasting about his weaknesses. All right? Now, so, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation. So he's saying, I'm the one 
that went to the third heaven. I'm the one that went to paradise. I'm the one that received these revelations that I can't even talk about, right? So, so I wouldn't get puffed up with pride because of that. A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Now, if you look to see the way thorn was used for opposition in the Old Testament, it, it was often enemy nations. It, it was people that were thorns that were attacking. I mean, you had physical thorns, right? Thorns and briars and things. But you had the, the thorns of, of attack, right? Harassing nations and, and enemies and things like that that would attack. All right. But we don't know what the nature of the thorn was here. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. You say, well, there it is. He was given a thorn, an attack from Satan, sickness. He asked the Lord three times to heal him, and the Lord said no. Well, where does it say anything about sickness there? You say, but wasn't Paul sick? There's a debate. Even in Galatians 5, or when he references in Galatians, uh, in Galatians being among them and his physical condition, many scholars understand that he was sick. He may have been. He, he may have been sick when he went there. It's certainly possible. I'm not saying Paul was never sick. I'm simply asking the question, as many biblical scholars have asked, whether sickness was uh, connected to this thorn. If he was sick at other times, well, the sickness is the thorn. There's a debate to this moment among New Testament scholars. The top New Testament scholars, I'm talking about people who don't believe in healing at all today. There's a debate among them as to what Paul's thorn was. Let me tell you why I personally don't believe it was sickness. So keep me from boasting, from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of, of the revelations. A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He doesn't say, for the sake of Christ, I'm content with cancer, or blindness, or disability. He would have worshipped God. Of course, Paul would have worshipped God no matter what. He would have praised God just the same and been faithful just the same. And God bless each of you who have a serious medical condition or a serious disability, and you praise God and worship him and love him and serve him nonetheless and, and even can manifest joy and hope, what a wonderful testimony. God bless you. You are ministering to people in the midst of your sickness and your pain. I don't say, well, where's your faith? Or how come you're not healed? No, I, I stand with you. If you're asking God for healing, let's ask him together. But I bless you and honor you for your testimony in the midst of it. Yes, that is a testimony of faith. When you are disabled, when you have a, a chronic condition, when you have a serious illness, when you're afflicted with pain, and you say, I don't know why God hasn't healed me, but I'm going to worship him and praise him as a good God nonetheless, that's a wonderful testimony. Praise God for that. I honor you in the Lord. I simply don't see that that's what Paul was saying here. Is, doesn't he list what he's talking about? Isn't he quite explicit? For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, 
insult. So weaknesses would be the heading. You say, my translation says infirmities. It's the same word that's been used throughout for weakness. Keep it as weak. Keep it, it makes most sense to understand this as weak. I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. So what do I understand Paul's thorn in the flesh was, along with, with other scholars? This is not just my view. It's what I concluded studying Scripture and then saw others had same conclusions. What do I understand? I understand it was the severe persecutions and hardships that Paul talked about in the previous chapter. It's wherever he went in unusual ways, in extreme ways, he was persecuted. He was attacked. He was imprisoned. He was beaten. I mean, just, just listen. But let me read to you from 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, where he details this, all right? You talk about extreme. Uh, he, he says this. Five, all right, let's see. Um, all right. Are they servants of Christ? Verse 23, I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from the other things, there is the daily pressure of me, of, of, on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? The burden he carries for all the churches. Who is weak and I'm not weak? Who is made to fall and I'm not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. So he's just talking about this. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. So when, when Paul is boasting about his weaknesses and, and, and saying that, this is part of the satanic attack against him. That makes perfect sense. So think of it like this. You go to minister. All right, let's say I go preach somewhere. And afterwards, people are like, that was an incredible message, Dr. Brown. We've never, wow, the Lord really used you. And then you sit around with all the leaders and they say, that was the most incredible services we've ever been to. That's, that's one thing, right? Let's say God uses you, the sick are miraculously healed through you. The Holy Spirit falls dramatically. And before you can go out with your meal with people, before people can talk to you about how God used you, you're getting hauled off by the local police. You're getting beaten by a mob. You're thrown in jail. You're, you're whipped. You're fought, whatever, right? This happened over and over and over and over. Super severe, super intense, exaggerated form. And it's like, Lord, please, this is, please take it away. No. No, because my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now, it could have been something else. It's interesting, medieval monks who had pledged to celibacy, they thought the thorn was, was sexual temptation, sexual thoughts, perhaps they were projecting. Others thought it's some kind of sickness, from malaria to migraines, different things like that. We don't know. Others think the thorn was the super apostles themselves. That was Paul's thorn. But there are others, and contextually it seems to make the most sense to me, that, that was the thorn. So it wasn't that God refused to heal him. I don't see that in the text. I don't see that anywhere in Paul's life. Rather, 
God did not remove this severe, intense, over-the-top persecution that came. And as miserable and difficult as it was that Paul pleaded three times with the Lord. And I, again, there are times we pleaded with the Lord, no, this is my will. I'm not taking it away. Right? I understand that. But in this case, you can't deduce something about sickness because it's not about sickness. And Paul's line on sickness has been consistent in terms of God's healing power being available for his people today. Paul's thorn, extreme, intense, unusual persecution, but he learned through my weakness, God's strength is made manifest. It's, it's really an amazing principle. To the extent I've taken hold of it, it's been life-changing for me over the years. All right, hey, we got a really neat story to tell you when we come back. Don't go anywhere. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. I, I, I want to share something really neat with you from one of my colleagues in our ministry. Uh, she and her husband, Gary, have been friends of, of Nancy's and mine for just about 40 years now. We've worked together a lot of this time and as we're talking about health, wellness, and emphasizing that this month, that I, I just thought it'd be really neat if we got Cindy to call. I mean, she's in our offices, but it's just easier to call in. Hey, Cindy, welcome to the line of fire. Is this your first time calling in officially? Actually, I think I've called in prior years, decades ago, even before we lived here. I would call in as I listened to the show here and there, but it's not often I've gotten a chance to call in, so this is kind of neat. Yeah, we, we saw each other face-to-face -face a little while ago. Yeah, I, I do remember calls in the past. So Cindy is our director of operations and, and causes everything in our ministry to, to run well. So, again, uh, as couples, we've known each other. A little later this year, it'll be 40 years. A we've, long time. We've worked together closely through all this. And one thing that, that you and Gary know, because people always be pitching this to us and ministries want to work with us and help us and this and that, as you know, I'm, I'm not that kind of person. Uh, I mean, just give, give our listeners a little glimpse of, of my heart when it comes to, like, the, the carnal techniques and the worldly ways of doing things, how, how I respond. Not yet. Not at all. We have always told everybody, as we've worked with you over the decades, and, and I've been working here with you in the Charlotte area for 12 years now, um, we tell somebody from the onset they want to come in, they want to help us, but they want to help with marketing, this and the other thing, and we tell them right from the get-go, anything gimmicky, it's not going to fly with Dr. Brown because you are so authentic and you so value and fear the Lord and walk in righteousness and, and you don't want to, um, you know, create any kind of issues as you teach with the gospel. And so we tell them right away, nothing gimmicky. If it's not straightforward, don't even bother. And, you know, your average company or ministry, when talk about ROI, return on investment, they're always thinking financially. So you and Gary learned a long time ago, for me, return on investment is, did we reach the people we want to reach? That's we did. Right. Yeah. And then Gary said, okay, great. Now we just have to figure out to pay for, how to pay for it. But you're happy that we reach the people. So that's, that's how I think. And, and that's how we've Absolutely. operated all these years. All right. So, so anyway, when, when Michael Ellison from Trivita reached out and said, hey, we, we've got a plan. We, we believe that we can partner together, help, help promote wellness with a purpose. Obviously, my whole testimony of health, life transformation, 
and he so believes in the urgency of our message for the for the nation now he said i've got a plan if we could work together we could take profits and pour them into your ministry to get you on the radio so the first thing you did we talked about it was you went to the trivita website by the way i'm going to give you a phone number to call in a moment um because they're just having some web issues going to give you a phone number to call in a moment but you went to the website and you ordered one of their top products, Nopalea. So yes. first, just talk about inflammation issues you had, other things you tried, and then the results you've gotten. Yeah, well, um, I did. First of all, I wanted to be able to say that I did um, find whether the product was valuable or not, you know, because we do stand by our word. And I had tried many things over the years, over-the-counter, other um, liquids or capsules, tablets, whatever, you know, that helps with inflammation because I do have um, some some arthritis here in my body, this, that, and the other thing. I am a woman in my 60s, and I am trying to to lose some of the pounds, but I, um, you know, I try and eat clean. But I did want to see if this stuff really um, worked, so I ordered it right away, and that was probably about two months ago, right before the holidays started, Thanksgiving and then into Christmas. So I ordered it, got it, and, um, you know, again, over the holiday season, you go into Christmas parties, you're going to all kinds of gatherings, this, that, and the other thing. So I didn't necessarily eat as clean <laughs> as I normally do as I started taking the Nopalea. Yes. So in other words, any changes you got, it's not because you radically changed your diet or something like that. Instead, like tens of millions of other Americans over the holidays, you gave yourself a little more liberty. Right. So but but you want you did this on your own. You actually went on the website, just ordered it regular price, said, hey, I've got to check this out. I didn't even ask you to. You just did it immediately. So you started coming to me with results and, and you were pretty excited. So what what kind of results have you seen? Well, the reason I was excited is, again, I didn't eat as clean as I normally do over the holidays. So when I noticed that my body didn't have the inflammation, I would have from eating, you know, your pasta and maybe some extra cookies and stuff like that. I thought the only thing I am taking that would have made a difference is the Nopalea. So I started to really pay attention. And then I started noticing my body was actually craving this because I usually get up in the morning. I take a little shot glass and go about my day. And I do, you know, take some other vitamins and stuff, but nothing that specifically works for inflammation. So I noticed, again, through the holiday season, um, and again, this isn't a license to not eat clean. I think every one of us should be. As a matter of fact, your show throughout this month has just been phenomenal and encouraging and really challenging because as Christians, we are supposed to be healthy, spiritual, and body. So I've been challenged just listening to your shows. But I um, I did notice is definitely I would I had... I did not have the inflammation I would have had not eating as clean as I normally do over the holiday season. So after the holidays were over, right after New Year's, I thought this is definitely a product I can stand behind and say it works. It took away pain. It took away stiffness. It took away some inflammation. And um, I, I, I'm on it. I'm, I'm sold for life on this. Didn't you even actually have a boost in energy that you, were, you just kind of noticed? Yes. Yes, yes. And I like being busy. I like going, you know, morning till night, you know, want to do what I can for the kingdom. But yes, I actually have noticed, especially 
since we hit January. As you know, things have been super busy. Um, but, uh, yeah, I have a lot of energy, definitely a lot of energy. So I, I can say, for me, this is really something that I have noticed a difference, and I would encourage any of your listeners, if you want something that's going to take away some pain, stiffness, you know, have a little bit more flexibility, and get rid of some inflammation, I would, um, I would recommend getting the Nopalea. All right, awesome. Hey, I, I, I wanted to share that just because you've been so enthusiastic just talking to me about it privately and this is in the early stages of seeing the benefits hey thank you cindy for the call i appreciate it let's talk again sure will have a great show all right friends i want you to hear this ad let's take a listen together chronic inflammation is the greatest health threat to humanity infections injuries toxins poor diet and chronic stress can attack your immune system and lead to chronic inflammation but now there's a solution you can fight this dangerous silent killer with, Nopalea. Made from the superfruit of the Nepal cactus, containing a unique group of bioflavonoids clinically shown to reduce chronic inflammation. In a random double-blind placebo-controlled study, it showed a reduction of elevated at-risk C-reactive protein levels, resulting in an improvement in range of motion in the back, neck, and joints, and an overall improvement in the quality of life. Nopalea has helped thousands of people by lowering levels of chronic inflammation. Learn how to get a free bottle of Nopalea by calling 800-568-9535. That's 800-568-9535. Nopalea is shown to help reduce inflammation, improve your mobility and range of motion, greater flexibility and less dependency on pain medications. And Trivita will give a substantial portion of your order to help support the Line of Fire radio broadcast. Go to Trivita.com and use promo code BROWN30 in the shopping cart or call 800-568-9535. That's 800-568-9535. All right, so friends, that's the number to call. Call to find out how you can get a free bottle of Nopalea when you call in. And, and also Harvard Medical, as I've been looking into this, other major health organizations have said that chronic inflammation is the number one risk to humanity. So when you call in, you can ask some questions also about chronic inflammation. You may even describe some things that are going on that, that yeah, this, this relates to it. And you heard Cindy's story. She's telling it to me. She's telling me about it. Mike, I tried this and this. This didn't see these results. So uh, we're having some web issues. So call 800-568-9535. 800-568-9535. Again, when you call, ask how you can get a free bottle of Nopalea. Find out about chronic inflammation. And let us be a blessing to you. And then here, here's the neat thing in the back of your mind. Because I know so many of you love us. You send us so many encouraging words. You encourage us to stay on the front lines, not to back down, which, hey, it's our pledge too. We're not going anywhere. We're not backing down. We're not shutting down. We're not apologizing for truth. We're not compromising. By God's grace, as long as I have breath, I will speak the truth in love regardless of cost or consequence. I mean that from the heart. But this should give you further encouragement. Not only will you be helping yourself to better quality of life and making a daily investment against this silent killer, chronic inflammation, making a daily investment against it. Not only will you be doing that, you'll also be helping us with every order, helping us reach more and more people. Thank God for those we reach. But there are tens of millions we're not reaching now 
as we expand on radio around the country, by God's grace, we believe it's going to spark something. We believe it's going to stir something. We believe more and more people will go after God for revival. More and more Christians, believers, will get healthy. More of those who don't know the Lord, Jewish people in particular, will hear, hear the gospel. More and more we can confront this corrupt and fallen world and culture with the truth of the message. So it's just an awesome way to partner as Trivita is saying, let's pour these funds into the line of fire getting around the country. And at the same time, you can get healthier. You can get weller, is that the word? You can enjoy wellness with a divine purpose. Last time I'll give out the number 800-568-9535. We will be right back. We are not going anywhere. Stay right here. The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thank you so much for joining us. Michael Brown here. We're about to have a fascinating interview. So I am in the Dallas-Fort Worth area just about every month, sometimes several times in a month. And my colleague, Dr. Stengler, said, Mike, you, you've got to go to the, to the museum there. You, you've got to check this out. It, it's this it's creation, Institute for Creation Research. And, and uh, you've got to, I just haven't been able to go yet. So we said, all right, listen, let's, let's get some of the scholars, some of the scientists there on the air. And I have really been looking forward to today's interview with Dr. Brian Thomas he holds a PhD in paleobiochemistry from the University of Liverpool. I, I could go through a lot more about his bio and what he has written. Uh, one of the books that will definitely interest you, Dinosaurs and the Bible. Dr. Thomas, thanks for joining us. I've really been looking forward to talking with you. I've been looking forward to it also. Thank you. Great. Now, before we're done... I want I want us to make sure we talk about what folks in the Dallas area can come and see for themselves. But let let's focus in on on protein fossils, what they are, and how they point, in your view, to the age of the Earth. Sure. Uh, so most people don't even know that that a lot of these fossils have proteins, animal proteins, still in them. And in fact, more than just proteins, some of them have whole tissues still intact, including blood vessels in dinosaur bones. And so we've got a few of those on display in a new uh, soft tissue fossil display in a particular section in our beautiful uh, museum, the Discovery Center here in Dallas. All right, so what, what do these indicate? If, if you've got these blood vessels, these things that are actually there, what do they indicate as far as the age of dinosaurs? And then from there, questions about the age of the Earth. Sure. Um, so my secular colleagues um, are, are, are persuaded uh, that, uh, of course, these dinosaur bones, from which they're extracting proteins and blood vessels and such, 
they come from rock layers that are age dated um, um, using conventional means of you know on the order of seventy million years now now that's in textbooks and charts and its popular opinion and belief on the other hand we've got actual proteins in there and blood vessels and and, and blood proteins and connective tissues and we have a list of 122 uh, publications in the technical journals describing short-lived biomolecules that just don't last that long, even in the best preservational conditions. And we know that because of repeatable lab bench decay rate studies. So you take a piece of bone and um, the organics that are in it and accelerate the decay rate and, and then measure the decay rate. And so we've done that and replicated our our mainstream colleagues work on that, showing that the stuff cannot last even one million years under the best circumstances, let alone tens. And in some cases, they claim hundreds of millions of years for protein fossils. We think the millions of years, we've been thinking this a long time because we've been basing our history on the Bible, and we think that the tens of millions of years age assignments for these fossils, there's lots to be uh, questioned about that. And here we have, in the fossils themselves, uh, more reason to question that. All right, so from, from your dating, your understanding of, of how long these things can last, how far back would you say the dinosaurs should be placed? Well, when we consider the big picture here, not only do we have dinosaur blood vessels and connective tissue, that looks young. Now, those, those occur in rock layers that extend across whole continent, you know, half a continent, state after state, hundreds of square miles of the same rock layer, one, one depositional event, and watery de deposition. And so it's this broad extent of these rock layers that contain dinosaur and other, all kinds of other um, creatures fossilized, not just in the U.S., but in all continents have these, and uh, these layers. It doesn't happen today, fossils don't happen today, hundreds of Square miles of deposition don't happen today. We have deposition in like a river delta where the river dumps its sediment load into an ocean. But it's fan-shaped. Um, but these rock layers are not fan-shaped, and they're not in small deltas. So what we're saying, what we're seeing is evidence that you, you, you've got something that happened all over the world in the past, but it happens nowhere in the world today. So when we put these clues together and we align them with what the Bible says about the past, well, the Bible tells us that there was an enormous, world-covering, earth-destroying, watery cataclysm called Noah's Flood. So we, as far as timing goes, we're comfortable assigning the age of these fossils as having been deposited in Noah's Flood something like 4,400 or so years ago. Mm. And, and what about in the Bible, text in the Bible that you would see as indicative of the presence of dinosaurs alongside human beings? Well, the only, the for sure one that we're convinced is the behemoth in Job chapter 40. Behold behemoth, the Lord says, which I made along with you, i.e. on the day, <clears throat> during, during the creation week there, and then in the text there in Job 40, the Lord tells Job, he's, he's calling attention to the features and the habits of this creature. 
And it says he's not scared of anything. He's so big that if the river rages, he doesn't care. Um, and, and look, his tail's like a cedar tree. Now, there's no animal today that fits, that's alive that really fits all of these behavioral and anatomical specifications. And so most commentators cave in and say, well, since there's no animal alive today, they assume that there was no animal alive in the past that fit those uh, descriptions. So it must be suddenly a fictional animal. We're not convinced of that at all. In fact, it uses the same type of language talking about behemoth as the Lord used in talking about the deer and the eagle and, and animals that still are alive today. So we think that Job lived after the flood and that he knew of, either first or secondhand, um, a dinosaur. And in fact, we're convinced that it was one of these sauropod dinosaurs that's um, described there in Job chapter 40. Yeah, and, and you know, I wrote a commentary on Job, but of course wrestled with these things. And my expertise is in, in Bible and language and, and not in, in science in any way. So, you know, the problem with the hippopotamus is, is that he does not have a tail like a cedar. That's, you know, because other things, that, you know, that he'd be a candidate for that or a crocodile for Leviathan, but both go beyond those natural beings. I have no problem saying that they're, they also represented spiritual powers or powers of chaos, but it's clear by the observational language that they were talking about some type of animal that they knew of in that day. And as I said in the commentary, that those that would accept a young earth dating, then dinosaurs would be a very attractive of uh, interpretation there. It were, you find, it's a lot easier to find a dinosaur who fits that description than, than a, a, a non-dinosaur. So uh, you, you are educated in secular institutions, University of Liverpool and, and others. Uh, studying paleobiochemistry, what what kind of mindset did you run into? Obviously, you're among scholars, you're among learned people, brilliant people, uh, and yet they would be tremendously skeptical of the kind of evidence that you're bringing. Do you find it to be more philosophical or more scientific? In other words, are there valid comebacks that they have scientifically to push back and have solid scientific answers, or do you find it to be more presuppositional and philosophical in terms of their rejection of these lines of argument? Oh, wow, great question. And, I've, and, and very well put. I've never had it put quite that way. And I like the way you put it, uh, because <laughs> absolutely philosophical. Because they, it's, it's kind of like, like a secularism has become a religion. You know, and if you talk, if you challenge the doctrines of the secularist religion, um, that there is no creator, that nature did it all, you know, and therefore that nature took eons to do it all. These are these are doctrine position, doctrinaire positions for the secular, and, and therefore I can make my own choices. I'm not accountable to a creator because there isn't one really. And so these are doctrinaire, uh, uh, strongly held, emotionally defended beliefs. So when we have a discussion about ultimate issues and origins, it, it, it most often goes nowhere. Don't talk to me about that. Uh, how dare you challenge what we know to be true? And, it's, and that, so I, I'm met with complete dismissal. So there's no dialogue. So for, as a Christian, I have to, you know, I have to sort of approach the subject delicately and from the side and with lots of curious questions, as it were. Um, and and just really start off, because the worldviews are so diametrically opposed. I mean, 
And I had to make that transformation. I used to believe in evolution. Uh, I used to believe we evolved from fish over millions of years or billions. And, and it took a lot, it took a lot for me to make that, that shift over to a biblical worldview. So I know that I know what it's like. It's tough. And, and so and um, it's, we, it's emotionally driven and it's yeah. doctrine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, understood. Absolutely. Which would then mean it's harder to get hired in universities to teach and now influence others. It's harder to get your research papers uh, peer reviewed and out because it, it challenges the status quo. So there's, and therefore you have this cycle that just keeps reinforcing itself. We've just got a minute before the break. But when the shift happened in your own life, was it first spiritual and then intellectual or the reverse or a combination of both? You know, I've talked with with friends who've made that switch, and for some of them, it was first uh, the science got them first, and they started they started discovering things in their own discipline that led to you know a challenge to the to the standard mainstream secular positions. Uh, for example, blood vessels in dinosaur bones, you know, uh, that that kind of thing. That would be a challenge, and it is a challenge to to, to try to deal with within that secular system. But for me. I, I found that the uh, the gospel rang true, so it was mm. spiritual first. So I found to me that when when the Bible says that you're a sinner and you've done wrong and God's not happy with you, <laughs> I realized you know what, that's true. And I, I because I recognized what the Bible said about my heart was true within my own heart. It matched. Mm. And so then I came to Christ, and and as and after that, I started to look at this Bible, and um, and and began trying to answer the tough questions about origins. And through a long process, began to realize, wow, the Bible is not only right about the spiritual things, it's right about the history things, too. Very interesting. All right, friends, we'll be right back with Dr. Brian Thomas. We want to take about the, talk about the Creation Museum. I, gotta, I will get there. I will get there. It's just when I'm there, in the air, I'm only teaching, but i got to schedule time to get there. You, you need to check it out yourself. We'll be right back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on The Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on the air. I'm speaking with Dr. Brian Thomas. You know, Dr. Thomas, I've, I've had over the years a friends on from Reasons to Believe, which is old earth creation. I've had folks on with young earth scholars as well. And I've said, we, you know, we can debate scripture. He, I can debate the scriptural part. I can't debate the scientific part. But I think for many Christians, there is the perception that young earth creation is somehow anti-intellectual, that it's based on biblical dogmatism and doesn't deal with all kinds of evidence. Uh, you would obviously argue against that and say that it is intellectually robust, which is part of why you can have mind and spirit in harmony. Is, is that correct? I, I, I think you summarized it pretty well. All right. Well, great. So let, let's, again, you have to break things down on very basic levels for me to understand and for many listeners without scientific background to understand. But in your view, what are the biggest problems, the, the things that are hardly even debatable scientifically when, when you analyze the, the standard Darwinian narrative of evolution. What to you are the biggest holes in that? Number one is the origin of life. 
I mean, you got to go from you got to go from chemicals to a cell, and that's just too big of an ask for natural processes. I mean, it, it, imagine uh, a pile of sand with some dirt on it, um, and it has to. So natural processes have to rearrange all that to make, let's say, a laptop or or a cell phone or something. Uh, only that the information content within one living cell is orders of magnitude greater than that within a simple uh, laptop or a little cell phone. And so the, the, the problem there is horrendous for the, um, for the mainstream secularist position. And, and, uh, but the, the, um, the Scripture teaches, you know, Romans 1, um, that, the, that the invisible qualities of God have been made known through that which he has made. In other words, we recognize creation through his handiwork. And so when we see these uh, detailed um, form and fit, even at the nanoscopic levels inside cells, we, we have to, you know, it's right and good to conclude, you know, that there was an actual engineer to perform all this engineering. And, uh, and that's what the Bible teaches. Um, that's a big one to overcome. And then you got to go, once you have Imagine somehow nature, uh, uh, you know, crafting a cell out of raw, raw chemicals. Um, then you have to get this cell to diversify and become everything that's alive today, from an ant to a tree to a person, all you know, emerging from the same original, universal common ancestor, the same single cell. That's another big old story. Um, where, what's the evidence for that? That type of transformation um, is the evidence visible today. Do, treat, do creatures today morph between one kind and another? Well, no, they don't. So people who defend this concept, they have to go to, um, uh, they have to go to maybe it happened in the past. It's too slow to see. Don't expect it to happen within a lifetime, they said. So maybe it happened in the past. Well, the only snapshot we have of past creatures is in fossils. But again, we see in fossils already fully formed kinds. As, you know, and then we, and then that brings us back to Genesis chapter ten, where it's repeated ten times. Sorry, Genesis chapter one. God created these creatures to reproduce according to kinds, not between kinds, by the power of His spoken word, not by the power of natural processes of death, death, death. No, it was the giver of life who made life, not the death of the unfit that made life. And so, um, so those are those are two areas I would look at the origin of life. The diversification of life, and there's no uh, good, there's no good natural way to do what, you know, what only a supernatural engineer uh, apparently can do. And, and you said when we when, in the previous segment that when you would raise these kinds of questions, which you learn that's the better approach rather than confronting, ask questions, that you didn't get responses like, "Wow, that's you know something we're still trying to work out." It would be more like, "How dare you question the system?" Sure. Why are you even asking that? What, what, what kind of weirdo would would even ask about? You know, that's not that's not for us to. Ours is not to reason why. Ours is just to believe. You know, <laughs> it's it, it, so so. There's a there's an immediate sort of shutdown, but you've got to ask the question. I mean, it's an important question because if, if you get the question about where we came from wrong, then that that sort of sort of sets you on the wrong path of of, of getting you know 
eternally important questions about why we're here wrong also, or where we're going. You've got to get these right. These are big questions. We've got to get them right. And so we have to ask people if we care about people. You know, we have to start somewhere. And I, I think you're right. I think asking questions, you know, even if, it, uh, even if someone might look down their nose at you just for simply asking the question, if we care enough, we're going to at least ask. And when, when you, as I've studied these things a little bit, again, as a total novice, just the more we learn about the cell itself, it's almost like the smaller you get, the smaller you get, the smaller you get, you end up with this little factory there and the guy's waving like, hey, we're doing great down here. I mean, it's, it's, the, it, it's the truth that the more we learn, the more we marvel at the design of the cell. I mean, you, you get you know, more micro, 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 and it's like, what's the explanation for this? Oh sure. Well, what we what we learn in the cell is is, you know, when I was in school uh, in grad school, I got a, a master's in biochemistry, and you know, I, I, we learned the the basic standard um, uh, genetic information is stored in DNA, it's stored in genes, you know, and then years later, we now have information storage on, you know. All kinds. Of, it's stored in proteins. It's stored in epigenetic marking patterns up on top of the, the genetic material. It's stored here. It's stored there. And so we have layers of information storage, and they all communicate with one another. And so they're all in sync as far as they're able to understand, not, not understand literally, but uh, they're, they're, they're all pre-programmed to be able to, um, to transfer information back and forth, up and down, even from one generation to the next. And Amazing. It's, so the more we learn, the more our minds boggle, and the and the more the secularist has to say, "Wow, nature is just more stunning <laughs> yeah. of a creator than I ever thought it could be." Yeah. And the, the creationist says, "Wow, our Lord, the Savior, Jesus Christ, is more uh, um, more ingenious than I ever could imagine." Yeah, yeah, and which make which makes more sense. Uh, so we've just got a couple minutes. Tell us about the museum. In Dallas, how, how people can get online, find out more about it. ICR.org, and then ICR, the Institute for Creation Research, which is where I've been working for about 15 years. And, yeah, we represent the science that supports creation, and we wanted to put that the accessible uh, um, aspects of that science on display at the Discovery Center here in Dallas. So if you go to ICR.org and then at the top tab, you just click the Discovery Center tab. It'll let you know some of the amenities. We have a planetarium, three or four different shows you can select. And we've got it. Um, we've got animatronic dinosaurs, actual dinosaurs, uh, replicas. We've got a, You can look through. Um, we have a miniature Grand Canyon. Look at the evidence of Noah's flood and the rock layers. Um, We've got an Ice Age theater. A lot of times people go, where does the Ice Age fit in? They go through the theater and they realize, oh, that's how it fits. Uh-huh. And it all fits in the biblical history. And, and, and we have, that's why we have supporters. That's why we have our supporters built this multi-million dollar museum because of the impact that our ministry has had and then being able to say, wow, God's Word got it right. Science supports it. And I want to support that. So it's and, just and- a great place to work. Uh, yeah, I, I, I really got to get there. As, as you've been talking, we put for those watching some of the some of the info from your website. How much time should be set aside to really give justice on the first trip? No less than two hours um, for the exhibit, and then another thirty minutes for the uh, 
planetarium show. So, yeah, so yeah, so uh, go go to icr.org, click the um, Discovery Center tab, and then select which planetarium show you want. Is what I would do, and then work your afternoon or your morning around that planetarium show. Spend some time in the exhibit hall, either before, after, or in the middle. Um, and and um, we have some people who read every placard. There's there's 30 some odd touch screens, so lots of information available. And then we have little kids who just race to the whole museum, you know, in, some, in, in less than an hour, and they're not getting much out of it. <laughs> Now, all right, so you get so, out what you put in. But. All right, well, good. Just a few hours and take all this in. ICR.org. Dr. Thomas, I look forward to meeting you face-to-face. Thanks for coming on today. Thanks. It's been my pleasure. I appreciate it. All right. I, I really, I, friends, I, I got to get there. I, I'm really interested to see this. And, um, hey, last reminder, is, what was that number again to call? So here's the number, 800 800- 568-9535, 800-568-9535. Call now, find out how you can get a free bottle of Nopalea, find out about chronic inflammation, find out about what you can do to fight against it and help it in a host of ways potentially in your body, all right? So uh, just as we're resolving the web issues, best to call in 800-568-9535. Money back guarantee on anything you get. So with our health emphasis this month, we've just got few more days to be talking about these things on the air with everyone. Be encouraged, friends. God made us amazingly to thrive. When we work with him and cooperate with him, the results are off the charts.